that bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been to prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the fed. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't Freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses Freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. I have a guest with me today, a very good friend of mine. Uh, it's been an honor to know him and work alongside him. Uh, his name is Mike Simons. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Uh, I just want to let you know Freeway Ministries is a production. This is a, One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries. Uh, we're taking a unique look at people's lives um, and challenging uh, our audience and just exploring what God can do through One Broken Life. Um, the transformation of those people who have been redeemed uh, from the pit and the mire. The bigger the mess, I believe, sometimes the bigger the message. And so we came up with the idea of doing this. Uh, one Broken Life at a Time is kind of our, our theme, reaching one broken life at a time at Freeway Ministries. And so we thought, well, wh why don't we share these stories with people? Uh, you hear about the negative impact that drugs and crime, which go together, make on our communities. Uh, I believe it's domestic terrorism. Uh, drug addiction, drug dealing in our cities and counties. And um, so what you don't hear about is the positive impact one radically changed uh, ex-drug addict or ex-convict makes on our community that, that the gospel has penetrated their heart. And so uh, today I have Mike Simons here with me today. How old are you, Mike? I'm 54. 54 years old. Uh, how long you been? How long had, had you been uh, using substances, drugs, alcohol? About 38 years. 38 years of drug addiction. Yes. You'd say that you were chained up by it. Absolutely. For 38 years. Um, one of the theme verses, Mike, uh, for this podcast is Psalms 51:17, And uh, the psalmist is talking about the sacrifices to God. Uh, David is repenting from his sin. This is kind of a confession psalm, a repented psalm. And he says the sacrifices are God, of God. The sacrifices of God, Psalms 51, 17, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, these you will not despise. Psalms uh, 51, 17. And then Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 says, um, I want you to know, brethren, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, to make the gospel go further, taking it places it hasn't been before. And, uh, and I believe that's what this podcast and our ministries is, is, has been doing and has done and will do as long as we continue to put God first and not get in his way or steal his glory from him. And so uh, I asked you to come on this podcast today, Mike, because you have had an extensive background of crime and addiction. Your life was broken. It was a mess. I met you back then at one point in your, 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 uh, your BC, your before Christ life. And, um, 
and be when you were when you were still struggling with addiction, and now you're here today, a staff member, uh, ministry leader, in 38 years of addiction. I'll just tell you, Mike. Most people don't make it back from that. Statistically, uh, you are a cycle breaker to be able to to have that much clean time, and uh, and we're gonna kind of get into that and what God has done in your life. So why don't you share for those uh, folks who are watching? What was like? What was life like growing up for Mike Simons? You know, I hear about a lot of people uh, that struggle with addiction uh, through their lives uh, that have a bad family uh, uh, background, with their parents maybe uh, struggle with addictions, uh, things like that. But my my story is not that case. Uh, I can't blame anything that uh, happened to me or the way that I turned out uh, from my childhood. My parents were uh, very loving, caring parents. Uh, they always took care of me and my sisters. We always had what we needed. They always made sure that we, uh, you know, that school was a priority, and and we just always had what we needed. And they didn't. Uh, I never seen drugs and alcohol in the house uh, at all. Uh, so I just, uh, I was just a rebellious, uh, a rebellious young man uh, from the very start. And and I think maybe some of it stemmed from the fact that my parents were so strict. Uh, I didn't get away with anything, uh, and so I would uh, I would become angry, you know, uh, over discipline and and just rebel against authority uh, from a young age. So okay, and so uh, you were the rebel. Yes. And you're the only boy. Yes. Two sisters. Two sisters. So, what about your parents? What was that like? What was your childhood like with uh, parental figures? Did you go to church? Were you raised in church? Was the was the was the was the gospel? Did your parents have a biblical worldview? Did they live that out in your home? What was that like? You know, we didn't go to church uh, uh, when I was young. Uh, I don't ever recall going to church with my parents. Uh, but uh, they were uh, oddly enough, they they uh, lived what appeared to be a godly life. They were dedicated to each other and to their marriage and and to us kids and. And uh, it wasn't proper to uh, use bad language, especially around women. You respected your parents, your mom. Uh, they just did. They just raised us up in what you would think would be a a, a, a godly uh, family, but it was just lacking the the uh, the gospel. Uh, I didn't hear the gospel whenever I was young, or I didn't uh, wasn't taken to church or anything like that. So, so the gospel, the fact that. Uh, that God in the flesh came and lived a sinless life and he died on the cross for our sins and we can only be saved through him and we trust in his sacrifice alone and in his resurrection from the dead and and so you never heard the truth of Jesus faith in Jesus it wasn't in your home it was a good moral home it was I heard the gospel growing up uh, I can't I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've I've heard it uh, but I never was open to it I never let it in. I never stopped and really put any time into thinking about uh, who Jesus was or, or what he did on the cross. So this young man who had everything in life he wanted growing up pretty much, right? Yes. Had, had all the advantages. Um, so you are rebelling against you know your mom and your dad and your family and your upbringing. You're, you're going the opposite direction. Uh, acting like a lost man because that's what lost people do, right? Re regardless mm -hmm. of the severity of the rebellion, they're rebelling um, against God. And so then you become uh, 
someone who starts drinking, drugging? How'd that start? Well, you know, as a young man and being and growing up in a strict family like that, where my parents were very strict, I, at a young age, I, I experienced uh, that uh, adrenaline from getting away with stuff. So I think that's where the rebellion the rebellion started. Is that, you know, I would I would, you know, get uh, there was that fear and that adrenaline of getting caught uh, by my parents, and so it it was. Uh, it was something at a young age I was attracted to. Uh, I smoked pot the first time when I was eight years old uh, with some older kids, and uh, wasn't too wasn't too fond of it uh, of what it did to me. And uh, but it wasn't until I was probably thirteen or so that I started doing it uh, regularly. Okay, so you started using marijuana on a regular basis at thirteen. Yes, and then so. Marijuana uh, is a drug. I believe that. Drug is a drug. But yep. marijuana isn't what sent you into into uh, yeah, a face-first fall to the pavement. Right. So what happened next? Well, I uh, alcohol, uh, I drank. Uh, the, the first time I ever got drunk, I was 13 years old. I got drunk with a neighbor, and we drank. Uh, at eight years, or at 13 years old, I drank. We, me and another uh, older kid, we drank two-fifths. Of, uh, of some kind of whiskey that was in my parents' uh, liquor cabinet. And, and uh, at 13, first thing in the morning, hadn't had anything to eat. And uh, so needless to say, I was in a blackout, uh, almost, almost died in that whole experience. Uh, but that's, that set the pace. I mean, that's, that's how I would uh, use drugs and alcohol throughout my life was I would just take it to the extreme, drink myself into a blackout, uh, I often did uh, blacked out on on just about anything that I did, whether it was math or there's times when I blacked out on math, I would black out on whatever it, whatever it was I was doing because I just would overdo it, you know, I'd go to the extreme with it. Yeah. So. So what happened to that relationship with your parents? I mean, your mom, your dad, your siblings. You here, you are. You're you're drinking, you're drugging. Uh, you go from marijuana to alcohol. Then when did all the other stuff come into play, and how'd that happen? Well, I was very angry behind behind closed doors. I didn't show that to my parents. Uh, I attempted to run away from home uh, more than once, uh, which didn't work out for me. Uh, my father wasn't, uh, he wasn't one to let stuff like that go. So uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I started having these ideas that I didn't want to be, be there anymore, very young. Uh, like I said, I, I attempted to run away, and then I met uh, my first wife uh, while I was in high school, and uh, we decided to get married. And in the back of my mind, uh, I w I, it was what was going to get me out of uh, away from my parents, uh, out of that home where I could do what I wanted, you know. And I didn't have all the the discipline and the rules, and and so uh, I got married when I was seventeen, still in high school. Okay. And. I'll, I'll admit it, it. Part of that was to get out of the house. So you're married. You're 17 years old. You're an immature kid. Yep. Uh, you have an addiction. You marry this girl. Then what? Well, it was uh, it was bad from the from the very start. Uh, there was uh, back in that time. There was uh, uh, I don't know what kids and what people do today. You know, teenagers or whatever. But but back then. Uh, we had parties about every weekend. 
and uh, either at a low water bridge or at an old rock quarry or just somewhere out on a gravel road, there would literally be hundreds of people would gather every single weekend. And for me, that was just, uh, I was having the time of my life at the time, uh, just partying. It was partying, had uh, not a worry in the world. Uh, uh, my wife got pregnant uh, with my son. And, uh, you know, I remember not not being able to uh, not, not go to the parties. Uh, I still hadn't identified that I had a problem. Uh, even, even so, uh, I left my wife out in the country, nine months pregnant, having labor pains, uh, with no vehicle and no phone. And she begged me to stay there. Uh, but there was a party that was going on. It was the biggest party of the year, and I had to be there. And so I would assure her that I would, I would come back and check on her. And, and I remember her just falling to pieces, just crying, scared when I left and me telling her I would be back and, and just not going back, you know, so. Yeah, and that's a, that's a memory that you probably can't get rid of. No, I, I'll, I'll always have that memory. Yeah, always. and that's part of addiction, you know. Uh, I tell guys and gals that come out of a past like ours because there's a lot more to it than that. what you're telling me right now. It gets deeper and darker, and uh, there's a lot more shame and guilt behind that, but. That's why we need to live holy lives more uh, than someone who has a, you know, and I, I don't mean to be funny or nothing, but, you know, my, you know, where you're saved at a young age and you don't go through those things, God keeps you from it, which is a powerful testimony of grace, in my opinion, as powerful as yours or mine or more. But, you know, the things that people say about us from back before we got saved are mostly true. So we need to live a holy life today to honor God more than anyone because we've got all that junk from the past weighing over our heads, you know. And uh, those, those, th that guilt and that shame from those things will eat you up and tear you apart if you don't have salvation, if you don't have a way to, to give those to Jesus, if you don't know that that's covered by the blood of Christ and that you are a Christian today and you are forgiven for those things. But um, so you're leaving your wife. She's alone. Then she has your son. How? Where's so? Where are we at right now in life in Mike's life? With that, where where are you? Are you still with her? Are you together? So uh, we have my son, and uh, it's like the the absolute highlight of my life. You know, I'd I'd never experienced anything of that magnitude when it comes to just joy. I just remember being just overwhelmingly happy. You know, about uh, my son and. And so I, I actually didn't think that I, you know, anything was wrong, uh, that I was in danger of, uh, you know, losing my wife or my son. But ultimately, that's what happened. Uh, he, after about two months, he was there. He was about two months old when she finally got him out of the situation. And I remember her telling me, uh, you know, you can go do whatever you want uh, three weekends out of out of the month, but I need you here one weekend. So you can have three, just give me and the baby one. And so I thought that was a pretty good deal. It sounded like something I would be able to do, and uh, I couldn't do it. Uh, the first time that uh, it was my weekend to be there, of course there was a big party going on, and, and uh, you know, I just had to be there. You know, so I remember telling her, well, why don't we just wait? You know, I'll go to bed with you, and we'll wait till you go to sleep, and once you go to sleep, I'll get up. 
and I'll go to the party and I'll be back before you get up, you know. And she just, she she wasn't having it, you know, she wasn't having it at all. And so uh, I just, I just left, you know, went to the party and just did what I wanted. And uh, I remember her telling me, you know, when we first got together that, uh, you know, she, she needed me. She, she couldn't live without me. And uh, so I ran with that. You know, I thought that she couldn't, literally she couldn't live without me. And so I use that as uh, I, I, I use that, you know, and, and uh, you know, she finally did what, what she needed to do. She got, uh, she got our child out of, out of a situation, out of a, a, a dangerous situation. And she didn't look, she didn't look back and uh, she ended up raising our, our child uh, on her own. So. And your son, how old is he? He's, uh, I don't want to get in trouble here. I'm pretty sure he's 34. Okay. He may, he may have turned 35 this year. So I know the flip side of this is a good ending. But um, when we first met, well, not first met, but when you first entered the Free Will Ministries program, uh, one of the things that troubled you was your son wouldn't talk to you and didn't want anything to do with you anymore. Yeah. But uh, God flipped that around, didn't he? Yeah, he did. We're not going to get into that just yet. This is part one. Okay. But uh, but I want to continue. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. So your wife has left you. Um, you can't say no to the party. You can't say no to the quote-unquote good time. Uh, you know, your friends and, and the alcohol and the drugs and all that is before anything, really, which is an idol, idol in your life. You were, you were, you were practicing idolatry. And, um, and so you, you, you may not have figured out you had a problem. But so now your wife leaves. Uh, she leaves you, right? Yes. So tell, how did that happen? Because this is the beginning of the brokenness. This is where life begins to get, you know, we teach in our classes at Freeway Ministries um, the point of decision. And at the point of decision, we have a choice. We can honor God or honor self. Every single thing we do all day long, from the moment you get up to the moment you go to sleep, you encounter the point of decision all day long. And at first, it's hard to honor God, but at the point of decision. But later, it's hard at first, but later it gets easy. And then and at first, it's easy to honor self, but later it gets hard at the point of decision. So it's easy for you to go to the party and leave your wife and your two-month-old two baby. It's easy at first. Didn't take no discipline. You didn't have to practice. You didn't have to do push-ups. You didn't have to read a book about it. You know, you just did it. It was easy. You were pleasing self. So now, later, here we go. She's had enough. It's not so easy anymore. So tell us about that. Well, I was, uh, like I said, I was married when I was 17 and divorced when I was 20. So she hung in there for three years, and it was, uh, it was three years of nonstop. Uh, you know, I was, I was young. I was not ready to take on what I took on, but I thought I was. I thought I knew what I was doing. Uh, she was my high school sweetheart. Uh, and so when, when she decided to leave, when she decided to take our child and, and take, get him out of a dangerous situation, you know, uh, it didn't set in for a while. Uh, you know, I thought that, that she would be back. Uh, I, thought that there, I thought that she had to have, you know, she couldn't live without me. And uh, it turns out she could. And, and I remember being devastated. I mean, devastated like I had never experienced in my life. Uh, I literally had a breakdown, and I, I couldn't function, you know, and I couldn't picture my life 
without her and my son, you know, and, and they were gone. Uh, she, she took them and she moved plumb away, uh, where I, I, I couldn't even see them. And so that, at that point, that was the first time that, uh, I started using, uh, to escape, uh, to escape, uh, just feelings of just doom and gloom. It was, uh, I, I just, I, like I said, I was having a hard time even functioning. And so that's when, uh, methamphetamine come into my life. I had tried methamphetamine before, but that's when my methamphetamine use took off, yeah. uh, and became, uh, an everyday, everyday thing. Yeah. There's a saying and, and, um, you know, we are Alcoholic Anonymous, and uh, it's uh, one's never enough and two's too many. And so you just, you keep looking for that number, yeah. that first high, and it never you never find it again. And it's the first thing you think about when you go to sleep. Last thing you think about when you go to sleep, and it's the first thing you think about when you wake up, is that shame and that guilt and that pain. And there's nothing else can numb it except for that whatever it is that you need to f- that fix you got that that addiction whether it's alcohol whether it's opiates whether it's uh, cocaine or methamphetamines or whatever case may be and i believe that is you know we tell folks all the time drugs drug addiction isn't the problem addiction is what you see so we got to get to the problem and once you give it the problem the heart issue you know the, the, the addiction gets dealt with so you had a heart problem mike right yeah and so now you're you're on meth uh how old are you i am 20 years old at this point okay 20 years old i know your mom and your sisters and they're super sweet people who love you very much um so at before we kind of go into this um let me just ask you just a few questions and there's so much we could talk about right now my mind's going crazy but um, so I'm just trying to picture you. You're 20 years old. You're you're in pain. You're you're using meth. How are you using it? Are you injecting it? Are you eating it? Are you smoking it? What are you? How are you doing it? At that point, I'm not injecting it yet in my life. Uh, uh, I'm eating it, smoking it, and snorting it. Uh, yeah, I'm doing it every you know every which way. But it, you know, I hadn't. I was totally against the needle at that point in my life. Okay. And so, where's your mom at right now during this? Where's your parents? Where's your father? What's going on there? My mom is, uh, she is, uh, at that point, she is starting to deal with my father, who his father had died, and my father wasn't dealing with that very well. And uh, I think he was bottling it up, uh, but it started affecting him, and it started affecting their marriage. And all three of his kids were out of the house by this time. And uh, my dad, uh, he started struggling with depression and anxiety. And so he started, uh, I remember there were times when he would go in, they would admit him into the Marion Center. Uh, I remember him, them doing shock treatments on him, uh, having him on all different kinds of antidepressants and drugs. And, and uh, he just lost all motivation. He, he got to where he didn't want to work. Uh, he didn't want to do anything. He was depressed all the time. And and my mom had had about enough uh, at one point, and she filed, uh, she filed for divorce. Uh, 
at that point was uh, I got a phone call one night and my dad had was holding my mom hostage with a thirty out six in the house. Uh, she had uh, told him she wanted a divorce and and he he lost it at that point. Held her hostage for twenty four hours with a high powered rifle. Finally let her go. Uh, and uh, they, he was picked up and arrested. And so they were had they had their struggles of their own uh, and while I was you know off in my addiction. Uh, you know I was I was lost. I was uh, empty inside and uh, alone. Uh, I remember feeling that. And when I would get high, that would go away. It, it would be it would be gone. And uh, but when I would come down, uh, it would it would be back. You know, and that same empty feeling, that lostness would be there. And so. I developed uh, what I thought was a, a wonderful uh, uh, ability, and that was to just shut shut my feelings off like a like a switch, like a light switch. I could just shut them off. Me too. Uh, and I didn't have to feel anything that I didn't want to feel. I just made a decision, and I thought that was pretty pretty genius of me uh, to be able to do that. And so. I kind of took a little bit of pride in that, but what I was doing was I was hardening my heart. You know, I was. Uh, I had found a way to uh, just stuff, stuff my feelings, and, and not dealing with them. So, uh, in the meantime, my my, my dad's arrested. Um, I had actually gotten clean at this point. Uh, kind of missed missed a little period there where my best friend uh, growing up, uh, when we had started doing methamphetamine when I was twenty, uh, we we kind of went all in uh, on it, and we were uh, definitely everyday users. We were we were uh, dealing it, uh, large amounts. Uh, we had, we were connected to someone that was, uh, bringing it out of Texas. And, uh, we just, we were just, it was all that we were all about it. And, uh, he ended up uh, committing suicide. Uh, I remember we played, uh, we had a, a little trailer in Pleasant Hope, Missouri, and, uh, we both worked night shift. We were both diesel mechanics and, and, uh, we were splitting the rent on this little trailer little small trailer, $60 a month. So we paid 30 bucks a piece per month for rent. And, uh, we were, uh, we were home one night and, uh, he had a little stub nose 38 pistol and, and, uh, he looked at me and, 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 you know, started talking about how crazy that we were. And I agreed that we were crazy. And so he put a, a shell in this 38 uh, revolver and he spun the barrel on it. And stuck it up to his fore, to his temple, and he pulled the trigger, and it just snapped. Uh, so he handed it to me, and and uh, you know I looked at the pistol and went ahead and put it up to my my temple, and I, I just remember squeezing my eyes shut and pulled the trigger, and it snapped. And uh, so I handed it back to him, and and at this point it was really setting in. I knew we we were really we really were crazy, uh, uh, not in a good way. You know, not uh, in a bragging good way. We were, uh, I think we were pretty, we were insane at that point. We had, uh, we were out there so far on meth that we didn't realize what really what we were doing. And, and so he stuck it straight to his head and pulled the trigger without any hesitation whatsoever. And, and it clicked again. He handed it back to me and I, I stuck it to my forehead and, and I really didn't want to pull the trigger. Uh, I remember putting pressure on the trigger, and I dropped it down and said, I, that's crazy. We can't do that. And uh, I can't do that. One more pull. And we just laid the pistol down. 
uh, after that. And uh, one week later, he got in a fight with his girlfriend, and uh, he stuck it to his forehead just to tell her, uh, just to kind of scare her. And he said, I will, and it went off. And so I kind of realized at that point that, that if I'd have pulled one week earlier, you know, I, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, so that's kind of where I was at, where we were at in our, in our drug use. And meanwhile, while this is going on, my mom is, uh, uh, she's needing me. You know, she's needing support from me. She's needing, uh, she's needing me to be there for her, and I and I wasn't. I couldn't be there for her because uh, of my addiction. And uh, so my dad got out of jail after being locked up, and uh, he called me one day. I was at work in Springfield, and he wanted me to come get him. They and he was in Polk County, and they were letting him out. And and I explained to him that I couldn't do that. You know, I'm at work. You know, there's many other people that can pick you up they're just you know minutes away from you you know i can't drive all the way home all the way from springfield and come and so he hung up the phone uh he, he was upset at me hung up the phone and later on that evening is when he committed suicide uh he uh he stuck a 270 underneath his chin and, and while while he had my mom on the phone and and pretty much decapitated himself and and uh that was just an excuse for me. I had been clean for a while at that point, and uh, I used that as an excuse to go back out and start drinking and drugging again, worse than ever. Uh, so, yeah, I've had a, a history my whole life of uh, taking these life events, you know, these these trials, and just using them as an excuse to even go deeper into my addiction. So, so that's a lot of trauma. Yeah, you know, when it comes down to it. Uh, you could go to a psychiatrist and get any kind of drug you want if you tell them that story, you know. Um, but you've, so here you are and you're, you are back in addiction. Um, and so what's the next thing that happened in your life as we talk about your journey to brokenness? Uh, so so what's, what happens after this, Mike? Where are you at? How do you come to the place of brokenness? Because... Um, I don't want to steal your thunder from you, but you came to a place where you were injecting methamphetamines. Yes. So your buddy's dead, kills himself. Your dad's dead, kills himself. You are grieving with meth and alcohol. What's next? What happens? Well, you know, I've been through, uh, I lost count at 15. You know, it's, it's my life of addiction is kind of a blur, but I could uh, I, I can account for at least 15 different inpatient treatment centers that I've I've went through drug and alcohol treatment centers and and uh, I completed every one of them I, I never walked out on any of them I, I made it all the way through and usually I would be uh, you know head of the group and and uh, I, I would graduate and I'd have all these good intentions you know I'm, I'm going to do things different this time and you know I'm not going to drink I'm not going to drug anymore and and I'd have all these good intentions and I would I would uh, I would always uh, fall back. I would always go right back to where it was. I, within Usually within 30 days, I was back to using and drinking again. And, and uh, I look back at that, and, and I always uh, had a hard time letting go of, of the people that uh, I used with and grew up with. Uh, you know, those were, the, those were the only people that I had. Uh, everyone else, I had abandoned. I had abandoned my family. Uh, I, I wouldn't go around my family while I was using. And uh, they wouldn't hear from me for months. And so the people that I used with were my family. And so we continuously uh, would convince each other that 
I'll take a bullet for you. I got your back. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. You can count on me, brother. The buddy hustle. The buddy. I mean, at the time, I thought it was true, you know, and, and I, you know, uh, these relationships that I had, I, I thought were strong relationships. I thought that these were my best friends. Uh, some of them were people that I went to school with from whenever I was young, and we played sports, and we didn't, weren't even into drugs, and then we got into it later on, and so... Uh, these were valuable relationships to me, and I, I always had a problem letting go. I would always go back around them uh, with this idea that, you know, I'm not going to drink or drug. I'm, I'm, I just want to go by and say, hey, what, what's up? You know, how, how are you doing? And I'd go back around them. They'd be drinking or, or, or drugging, and, and it might last one. I might be able to do it one or two times, but it didn't, you know, it didn't take long before I was uh, convinced that uh, – you know, I even had one friend tell me one time, he's like, that's what you do. Oh, you're a drug addict. You know, you, you get high. That's what you do. It's okay. And so I used it. I ran with it. It's like, that's, that's, it's what I do. You know, it, that's who I am. And so uh, through all the drug and alcohol treatments, I, I, it was like a revolving door. I did the same thing throughout my life, just over and over and over. And so I knew, I mean, I, I was introduced to God at a young age, you know, probably early in my addiction. Uh, and so I would, uh, I would, I would grab a hold of, of enough of the idea to get me out of the situation. And then, uh, but I never was able to, never did surrender my life to Christ. I never did uh, take any uh, effort in, in reading my Bible and, and knowing who he was, I just used him to get myself out of a bind, and then I was right back to doing the same thing. So you're, you come from this good home, alcohol, marijuana, alcohol, uh, marriage, you mess that up, you lose your dad, you lose your buddy. Um, and so from your personal experience, I know for a fact that you got to the point where you were injecting meth in your jugular veins, in your yeah. neck. And your girlfriend was doing the same thing, right? Yes. You meet this girl, and now you're both. You come from the point of just smoking marijuana at eight years old to IV jugular. I mean, in your neck, you're shooting meth up, you know. And then she dies, right? Yes. And, and then there's another person that's dead in your life. Um, and so you end up, how many times have you been to prison, Mike? Uh, five times. Five times. How much time have you done in prison? Uh, all total together, probably five years, six okay. years, five, six so years. So you keep going back again for violating I, your parole? Yeah, I go in, I get out. You I, can't make it out on the street? No. Because you keep getting high and you keep using drugs and you keep violating your probation and parole, right? Right. So when I met you, you were in a program. And we're not going to mention, we don't mention program names in here. Because uh, I don't want to belittle anyone or talk bad about any recovery group. But you are in a program. Mm -hmm. And I meet you, and you want to volunteer up here, right? Right. Um, because you have an injury in your arm uh, that that uh, you get a dis you get disability for that, um, which you might be working your way off of that here real soon. And we, you know, but so you lose your you lose your capability, use your hand fully, and you wanted to volunteer. So. What's different, Mike? You know, uh, where were you at in that point in your life? At that point, uh, you had mentioned uh, my girlfriend and, uh, that had died, and, and it was another point in my life where I was just 
completely devastated on a whole nother, on, on just a new level. I mean, it was just total devastation. Uh, she was 38 years old. Uh, and I was married at the time. Uh, my wife's in prison, so now I have a girlfriend uh, while she's in prison. And and uh, we we would shoot meth, and uh, I, I'm tracked up from my between my toes all the way up both legs. What's tracked uh, up? There's somebody listening that doesn't understand what that means. Uh, you, I've shot meth. I would find a place where I could uh, where I could hit a vein, and and I would hit it until it would until it would collapse or uh, would just go away, and I couldn't get it in anymore. And then I'd have to move to a, a new spot. And so I started, uh, I didn't start between down on my feet, but that was, uh, that came later. But once my arms, I couldn't get in the arms anymore, then uh, I went to the legs. And once I couldn't get in the legs anymore, I went to the feet. And once I couldn't get in the feet anymore, I went to the, to the juggler vein. And so we were, uh, we were at that point, both of us, we, we couldn't find a vein anywhere. And so uh, we would sit around for hours trying to, trying to get a vein. And we had a guy come over one night, and uh, he had just uh, hit somebody in the neck with with a shot. And uh, I was always afraid of it, but I started asking questions about it. I'm like, you know, is it dangerous? He's like, oh no. He said, I've done it. I just done it, you know, not too long ago. And uh, I said, well, could you do? Could you hit me like that? And he's like, sure. Lay down on the bed and, and turn your head to the side and. I remember him, him kneeling down there, and I remember him touching me, but he stood right back up, and I'm like, well, what's the matter? And he said, nothing, it's done. And uh, and then it hit me, and uh, I was like, this is it. I'm on to something new here. This is what I've been looking for. And uh, but what happened, my body was in such a state of just trying to survive and protect itself that uh, it didn't last very long. It's I don't know if it's a tendon or something crossed over that spot, but uh, it, it didn't last. My body protected itself and and shut that place off quick too. But uh, we 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 were we were uh, uh, we we were persistent. We we hung in there. Uh, I even remember a time when uh, you know I uh, screwed these boards to the ceiling and mounted these anchors in the ceiling and made this deal so I could hang upside down. Uh, and so I, somebody could try to hit me in the neck uh, because once the neck started going away, it was like I was willing. I, I wanted. I would had to do whatever it took to to continue on with that. And so I would hang upside down and have somebody try to hit me in the neck. And finally, it just started. Got to where it just wouldn't happen. And and uh, and then she died. Um, you know, we were uh, we we had been doing that. Uh, there's no there there. It wasn't nothing was ever said that that's what it was from uh and she didn't die uh from a shot of dope she died after we had come down uh but there's there's just uh, uh trauma to uh the veins in your neck uh can cause what happened to her and so uh it was just i was i was devastated once again i remember thinking that i would never do meth ever again in my life uh, it had taken something from me that i just couldn't uh i couldn't i just I was having a hard time dealing with it. And I remember the day of her funeral just being an absolute mess. And uh, I remember people, uh, the people that are friends, that they were, I remember them smoking pot right outside the church door on the church step. And uh, uh, as soon as the, the funeral was over, we were back at my house and I, I was getting high the day, and, you know, uh, within an hour after the funeral, I was getting high and justifying, justifying it once again. And so 
Yeah, it's a. So we, so here you are, a broken man, and you would say clearly that you're broken. You're yes. a mess. Your life has nothing. You have nothing to show your life. People are dying all around you. Um, did you ever think that you'd be a preacher? Oh no, no. Okay. Um, were you happy? No. Did you have peace? No. Okay. So this is part one. Uh, and so I, I'm, I know today it's a miracle that I get to look at you right now and you're still alive, right? And not only are you alive, you're not surviving, you're, you're living a victorious, a victorious life. And we're going to talk about the victorious life. We're going to talk about, and we talk about the broken man, we could keep going, but we're over time. And so for sake of time, we're going to end part, part one. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you share this podcast on Facebook? Uh, Freeway Ministries is our Facebook page. Join our Facebook page, uh, One Broken Life Podcast. Check us out. Uh, if you want to know more about Freeway Ministries, go to Freeway Ministries, freeway-ministries.com. Uh, we're committed to reaching the hard to reach one broken life at a time. Mike here, uh, you know, uh, a felon, a criminal commits 100 crimes minimum in their life. Mike was committing crimes. Mike was selling drugs. And through the ministry, God has saved Mike and redeemed him to the point to where he is a preacher at a freeway. We're going to talk about that next episode. So we're very grateful. If you would like to support us financially, you could send a check to P.O. Box, Springfield, Missouri, Free, Freeway Ministries, P.O. Box 8655, Springfield, Missouri, 65803. Um, or you can give online through our, through our website at freeway-ministries.com. So thank you for those who are watching. Like, share. Share with a friend who's struggling. Um, we'll see you back soon, one broken life at a time. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, John.